And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 71 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on March 22nd, 2015. Well, folks, here we are. March Madness is in full swing. And how's your bracket doing? Is your favorite team streaking to the finish line, or is your team already eliminated, making you cry like the little hashtag Piccolo Girl? But cry no more, folks, because Joe and I are here to give you the assist, the alley-oop of what's hip and what's dangerously cool in the world of content marketing. We're glad you're here. We're your rebound. We're your man-to-man. We're your baseline jumper, your big man in the middle, your finger roll, the top of the key, and the confidence to make sure that you're hitting all the content three-pointers. And the best thing of all, it happens in less than an hour, so no shot clock violations. And let's tip this bad boy off and get to this week in the news of content marketing. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the fast break of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, sir? How is your bracket doing? I have no idea. I have a bracket, but as... as Do you really? Uh, yes, uh, actually. I stopped that nonsense like five years well, ago. Well, I had the family help me out with it because, as you, you know, we were in Asia, so it was. Right. I had no idea what time it was, who was playing, or anything. <laughs> it just didn't matter. I'm totally impressed that you know all those basketball terms, because you're not a basketball I, guy. You know, That's, I'm not a basketball guy, and, um, you know, if truth be told, I had to look a few of those up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so. like, no touchdown, no offsides. Like, no. I, I thought you were going to throw out a, a football thing. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I will say this. I do like college basketball a lot more than I like pro basketball. Um, you know, it's like I like I like pro football moderately better than I like college football, um, but I like college basketball way more than I like pro basketball. I, uh, yeah. you know, a little birdie told me that uh, I think somebody launches a book today. Is that... Uh-oh. You, Uh-oh. Do you know anything about this? Uh-oh. I've heard. The rumors are true, folks. Yes, it is indeed. Finally out. I'm so excited. Yeah, it, the press release comes out today. Um, it's hitting all the social media stuff. The Amazon links are live. It is a... It's a good day here in Casa de Rose, yes. And the, and the title uh, of the book is? The title of the book is Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm fantastically proud uh, to have it out. Um, Carl and I are just super pleased. The, the, as I said, the press release comes out today. Uh, the website is updated. All the Amazon links are there. We're going to have it. This is uh, launching in, by the way, to coincide with um, the Intelligent Content event, which starts today as well, which is I'm super happy to be a speaker at and, and see you guys, see you yet exactly. again. Exactly. It's you like we are you totally and I get to hang out. each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, we're recording this a little bit early. On Monday, yeah. because as soon as this is done, I'm headed down. We've got our first breakfast where the attendees can come and see, you know, meet the CMI gang, and then uh, we start workshops today, and we're we're rolling to see, you know, more than 400 people. I'm super happy. We got more than 400 here, and uh, the weather here in San Francisco is great, and you know, just another just another event. But it was it's been fun. It's, it's our nonstop tour of content marketing events. Continues. This is the second half of our little marathon thing, and it's. Uh, I'm. I'm. I thought, you know, I had to be honest. I, I thought coming home from Sydney and Singapore, I was going to be just completely wiped out for today, 
And I'm, you know, I mean, one, I'm energized because of the book launch, but two, I'm ready to rock and roll. I mean, I'm super excited for intelligent content. I'm ready to get up there. I'm, I'm actually flying up tomorrow morning, very, very first thing. Um, so I'll be there for the keynote and uh, the rest of the day. And then, of course, my keynote on Wednesday. And um, I'm just, uh, yeah, it's, and then we have executive forum to, to sort of cap off the week. Um, and it's our own March Madness, and it's 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 uh, it's, it's it's super exciting, and I'm I'm really jacked. I just have a recommendation. I don't think we should do it exactly like this next no, year. I yeah. I well, there's that. <laughs> just the, yeah, for, yeah. Know, just a thought. The back just to back to back to back events. A little bit of break in between would be good. So whoever <laughs> yeah. did that. They should be yeah. shot. I don't know who. Sh- I don't know who be. did that. But you know. bang, bang, Joe, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why don't we get rolling here since we both have places to be? I think so. That is right. All right, our uh, top story, maybe not our biggest story, but our top story uh, this week comes from CNN.com. That. Uh, bastion of news mediocrity. Um, and it's called A Pivotal Point for the Internet. And it's basically a, a summation uh, of Steve Case's keynote speech uh, at South by Southwest. And he, Steve was recalling his early days as an internet pioneer, and he was giving his predictions for the future. And I wanted to get your take on this, Joe, because there's a few that are fairly interesting here. Um, he goes through a number of uh, of uh, of predictions about what's coming, and basically, you know, to put the headline on it, it's going to get big. This internet thing is going to get uh, kind of <laughs> big in the this, next few years. This um, is going to be this internet thing. I think is going to take yeah, off. I think there's something exactly. To it. <laughs> you know, and I guess what he says that I'm I was most intrigued by, and then I, I would actually love to get your take on this. Is he he talks a lot about this new wave, this new you know, the, there was two waves previous to this and that we're at the beginning of a third wave <laughs> funny i should maybe should be a book that predicts something like that and um he talks about this new wave um really about you know th- this idea of crowdfunding and strategic partnerships and you know and what's i mean what say you what did you what did you take out of this I, I, well i thought it was interesting from i mean steve case you know founder of aol you know has been you know sort of through the mud a little bit, then he's come back alive again and, and is in, you know, being able to speak at South by. And Pumpkinhead is back. Exactly. Yes. So what, I love yeah. how they, the distinctions are 85 to 2000 was the first wave. This is, I guess, what right. he said in his speech. The second wave was, you know, Google and Twitter and Facebook, you know, and this growing app economy. And then now we're in the third wave. And it says that basically, what, half of the... Um, the first wave, the first two waves affected communications, media, and commerce, and he's saying the third wave will basically impact everything else: healthcare, education, yeah, transportation, right. energy, food. But we're seeing this. I mean, we talked about this a lot in Sydney and Singapore about the idea of three D manufacturing, and how yeah. I mean, how are you at a, as a manufacturer? How do you keep up because you have all these disruptors coming in and basically saying, "No, we don't need that process like we were doing for the past fifty years. We'll just come right in and bang, it's done." Yeah, um, I saw a statistic the other day, um, whether it was a couple of weeks, three weeks ago or something, that said uh, in the coming five years, 90% of the costs of light manufacturing are going to come out of the system because of 3D printing. I mean, that's just an amazing statistic. I mean, so, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a product designer, you, I mean, you're, the opportunities you have now to get stuff manufactured is, is, is just crazy easy. It used to be really hard to do that, and now it's just not. Um, 
you know, I, I looked at when he was saying the the one I really was just fascinates me is this idea of what he says an increased globalization of startups. And we're already starting to see it, right? You know, companies like Uber and Lyft and 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 those kinds of companies where they would have, you know, even ten years ago would have been strikingly local, right? You know, in terms of the U.S. centric, and now you know are just Im- almost immediately global. And uh, you know, when we see stuff, you know, like another statistic I saw that you know three billion people are coming online in the next five years. You know, coming from places like Sub-Saharan Africa and South America. And those kinds of places, I think you know it's you know it's like if you thought the last five years were interesting, wait till the next five years because it's about to get really you know it's about to get weird up in here. Well, I mean, just look at the you know we talked about this a few days ago with the idea that the what the the cab drivers in New York or the the union or whatever yeah is all yeah. upset because Uber now has more drivers in New York City than cab drivers. I mean, that's a that's, that's a big that's that amazing. happened fast. Yeah, um, but I think that the you know the thing that I thought of when I was going through this little mini article was the idea that look, I mean, you talked about in 1999 AOL had 20 million subscribers and they were still trying right. to show that there's there's something to this whole internet thing. I think that a lot of companies, especially ones listening to this uh, wonderful podcast that we have, is that when you think about building audiences and and kind of your content competition, I think we still historically think of our content competition as our real competition. It's like who That's are we right. competing with in the industry? And I think what this you know, this article among others tells us is that our content competition is coming from so many other places. It's it's hard you can't you can barely map it and say it's where is our where are our where are our customers getting their content from? It's almost exclusively not our competition. So that means yeah, you have it, to create such valuable, compelling almost like Andrew Davis would say, appointment setting content. Right. And if you don't do that, you're going to be left out of the buying cycle. And, and and that at the same time, there's a huge opportunity to create larger audiences or meaningful, not even larger. It doesn't have to be millions, right? It just has to be meaningful. And right. you can take market share away just by, be, by being the go-to place for information. I think that's such an important, you know, and, you know, not to humble brag here, but I, I, you know, just after having spent two weeks doing this in workshops, um, it, it's amazing to me, not amazing, like surprising, but just, you know, very self-gratifying to see when we talk about this idea of content competition and how it's so much broader than your real competition when you start creating a, a, a successful content marketing program and how your advertising strategy then completely and fundamentally shifts with that and where you start thinking about stealing audience from the, you know, from the brand that you used to actually pay money to. Mm-hmm. And to see people's eyes sort of get that recognition to go, oh, right, now we're starting to build our own audience and actually those people that are content competitors with us now, we actually don't want to – we want to both spend money with them to steal audience away. That's a really interesting sort of evolution of this. And to see the lights sort of go on about that, it's it's just a really interesting thing. I don't know. Did you get this? I mean, it seemed like – we were we were trying to hit hard on the idea of you know you need to build your own audience where it seemed to be sort especially in Singapore 
seemed to be like a very new thing. Most of the people we talked to had no subscription programs at all. They were thinking about, and which is fine, right? They were thinking about creating content to drive more leads or to, you know, some some greater affinity for the product if they created this better content. But none of them were really thinking about, oh, we need to create our own audience. And that really is a testament to we're just not very far along in this process. If we're not thinking about that, the most criti- critical thing I think we should be thinking about is how do we build an audience that actually wants to pay attention to us for the content that has nothing to do with our products? Most companies simply aren't there yet. Yeah, I, I think that's I, – I, to, so to answer your question, I saw it a lot. I mean, you know, especially in Singapore. This was less so in, in, in Sydney, but in Singapore, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said ostensibly some version of, wow, this is really interesting because our company right now is just – you know, I mean, we'll talk about PR here in a bit, but it basically – it seemed to be very PR driven there, and it was all about how many mentions, how many, you know, how yep. much, uh, you know, how much SEO, how much uh, search exposure. You know, some of the stuff we were talking about, you know, four and five years ago, is just starting to, you know, sort of emerge there as the as the ways. Still to heavy campaigns, and, yeah, heavy, heavy, exactly, campaigns. very heavy on campaigns and very heavy on sort of the idea of branded. Um, branded content as a way of you know as a way of driving greater awareness through quite frankly PR driven efforts and it's you know it, it's it, we we have, we do have a long way to go in, in in some parts of the of of the world here. So I guess in kind of summing up, Steve Case is is right. The inter- <laughs> the, the internet is going to be a thing. It's yes. going to be important. Steve Case is right. The internet will be important. <laughs> All right, there let's it go. is. There's your headline. Okay, our next story um, comes from the New York Times of all places, and this one, this one's an interesting one because I'm a little torn on the whole thing. I have to say, I have no good conclusion here, and I can argue both sides of this coin, but definitely want to get your take on this, Joe, because I know you have one. Um, the headline is "Beauty Tips for Girls from Lego." Um, and uh, we have to give a hat tip, by the way, here to both Pam Kazelka um, of CMI as well uh, as Jonathan out there in, in Sydney. Um, Jonathan and, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely, to, who sort of gave us the, the, the tip on this story. This is an article um, that was published in the blogs section of the New York Times, and it speaks to a, an article actually in the newest issue of Lego magazine, and it apparently has kicked up quite a controversy. And I actually went out and looked at a couple of different um, sources of news on this just to get sort of a, a, a more balanced view of this than this blog per, uh, portends. Um, but basically... What uh, what it what it speaks to is that there was an article uh, in the latest issue of Lego magazine, and it speaks to what it's called uh, beauty tips, <clears throat> and it's it's Emma's beauty tips, and it presents several female figurines in the Lego sort of way at the quote unquote Heart Lake Hair Salon, and it's encouraging the readers to match haircut with the shape of your face, experiment with bows and berets and headbands and blow drying and hairbrushing techniques and. Um, Emma, by the way, of, of Emma's Beauty Tips is one of five female characters in the Lego Friends series. Um, and uh, this, I guess, sparked a bit of a controversy on social media. And a, people, a few people were really kind of upset by sort of classic gender-focused uh, uh, bias, I guess it would be, or gender, you know, sort of focus from Lego, where sort of they've been historically genderless and... 
I, you know, I, I, I sort of, I don't know, I, I had a couple of different, you know, part of me was, wants to go, Joe, part of me wants to say, you know what, it's an article. It's one article in one magazine, in one issue of a magazine that comes out regularly, so why is this such a big deal? But then she makes a good point to say, you know, you've been genderless for so long, why sort of the stereotypical thing now, and... I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I had I had mixed feelings on this. What did you think about I, this? I tell you what, I've been back and forth. I, was, I mean, I was talking with you know Pam, who sent the article over, and she's like, she didn't think it was that big of a deal because I actually wanted a woman's opinion on it because on all right. the, I was reading, a lo- there are 111 comments as to this point on here, and most of them are, I can't believe Lego would do this, and in look, you know, and doing a little bit of research on it, what they were saying was was not incorrect. It's factual information that if you were going to a hair salon or reading a you know a hair salon type book is absolutely true. This is what you do is how you cut your hair depending on what your shape is. So they're not saying right. anything that's not true. I guess I'm if I had my wish and what the, maybe they should have done differently is why is it just a just something for females? Could couldn't it be? I mean, couldn't you say for the if they, they could have solved it by saying, you know, if you're a woman, maybe this here it is. Here's your face, and this is a good one for for a certain kind of face, haircut for a certain kind of face, and this is not. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. That's right. It is. And I think that would have solved everything, but the entire page is, you know, the Lego friends. It makes sense. The content makes sense in context because it's a beauty salon is the Lego set that they're, that they're focusing right. on so that makes perfect right. sense right but i guess the question is is this the type of content that lego should have in their magazine and even the comments that i was reading and if you read it in any of the the teen girl magazines or american somebody brought up american girl magazine that would be the kind right. of information that's in there all the time and nobody would think right. twice of it but why now lego I don't know if I have a good answer. I'm almost just like well, I guess it's, it's just like <clears throat> brands just have to. The answer is because it stands out, yeah. right? I mean, and that's and that's so it's like this is where I go back and forth, right? It's because if I'm creating the content for Lego Magazine, I want to create content that stands out, that gets people talking, and 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 that you know, and and look, I understand that the target readers for this magazine are four years old to twelve years old, right? So you know, they're not going to necessarily have you know, sort of social converse. I'm not suggesting that. What I mean is, is that I want that article to sort of be something that they want to read. And and this woman who wrote the um, the the New York Times blog actually says that the Lego Friends series is why her daughter actually got into Legos to begin with, because she didn't think Legos were for her. And then she saw that Legos actually had this wonderful girl-focused set, and that's why she got into Legos and then also, and expanded into the other stuff. And so as a sort of entry point, it was an entry point for her little girl to get into Legos. Now, I, but then again, I'm with you. I'm like, yes, it, the, this would have been so easily solved – it seems it would have been easily solved by just saying, you know, keeping the article genderless, right? To say, look, if you have an oval face, you know, this is the way your hair cut. But then I go back and go, well, but it, should we be mad at like, you know, Teen Girl Magazine and American, you know, and, and, you know, and Vogue and, you know, Cosmopolitan who are clearly targeting older women? I get, but should it be younger? You know, it, it's just, I, I don't, 
I guess I don't see the need for outrage as as I saw for some, but I, I'm not sure. I, I th- it was the best executed content ever, and so I know that's a non-answer. But well, it's, I have a not, it's, I it's don't fun. have an answer for this either. I guess it's the, yeah. it's the question that everything that we put out there in our content is up for question because it's yeah, it's totally right. out there. So you know what. We just have to, you know, be aware that it's going on and and make sure we have really good editors to look at this. I guess, you know, it's interesting, especially as you did your, you know, your workshop, you know, actually it was your keynote in Singapore and Sydney where you were talking about through the the different eras of marketing. And if let's say that this article was in the era of the, you know, 50s to the 80s, maybe even beyond, nobody would say anything. It would have never even made. It would have made perfect 10. sense, and I guess yes. the question is, and I think you're going to have a rant about this later, as where where these brands are getting into areas that yeah. they've never been before, because right. we're we're tr- we're trying to be relevant, we're trying to be interesting, right. and that means we're not talking about our products. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the issues that our audience is going through. That's right. So. It's 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 a it's a that's such a great point because it's it's it is a new era and it is a new point of view for many of these brands that they're getting into a place where by taking a point of view through content you're going to be in a place where people disagree with you. And and we sit up there in front of people and preach this all the time and say if you're going to if you're going to put out content marketing and you're going to rise above the noise and you're actually going to get to a point where you're actually building an audience of you know a subscribed audience inherently your content is going to take some level of a point of view and you're going to be disagreeable to somebody and you just need to understand that and and you know in order to be right for somebody you've got to be wrong for somebody and and that's you know that that line is going to be a hard one for many brands to sort of figure out where to draw it, and it's 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 a you know it's 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 a new skill for many many brands, and one that's not going to come easy for many. You know what? The most in- this is Lego. Well, right? I mean, this is this is safe as you think it's going to be. The most interesting Look, part you know. of this is what happens next. That's what I want. Yeah, I want to know what right. they do. Do they cut it? Do they do they go? Do they dive into it even more than they're doing now? That's what I want. There know. was somebody somebody from Lego actually came out and said. Basically, and I didn't follow it any deeper than this, but and it may have gone deeper. But from what I could see, basically, somebody from Lego came out and said, "Thank you so much for that feedback. We'll take into account for future articles, and you know, we're moving on, right?" Which I think is the right response. But and I don't know if there's been anything since. Yeah, I don't then. think you apologized yeah. for it. I mean, no, he did not apologize for it. He just basically says, "Thank you. We really appreciate that feedback. We understand and 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 hear it, and we'll take it into account moving forward." Well, so, they are a media company now, just like every other company in the world so there it is all right moving on then our next story uh comes to us courtesy of the drum.com and the headline here and big hat tip to carl yeah from canada uh for giving us the tip on this uh the headline here is pr is seizing the advantage of content marketing uh, that is a headline for me um very surprising indeed um and the article goes through this guy who comes from a, I guess it's a venture firm, as, as best I can tell, financial services for sure, that has some level of venture arm to it. Um, and 
Basically, it's how this guy is talking about how PR as an industry, um, the marketing discipline that has basically, as he says, always put itself forward as the custodian for content for brands um, and has always been the closest to journalism, uh, is now taking over content marketing and um, basically walks through all the benefits of this and how it's great. What did you think of this article, Joe? To me, it was like, you know, Really? This feels a little like, you know, I, I thought maybe it had been cut and pasted from, you know, the time that Steve Case was running AOL. But, you know, um, I, I'm not really sure how to feel about this one. I think I think the, the title is misnamed <clears throat> instead of how yeah, PR right. sees in the advantage in content marketing. I think right. you could say PR could or a yeah, PR right. company yeah. can be part of that conversation. And this is – and I, I – you know, you and I have friends at a lot of different PR companies, so there's nothing against that. I think – No. <clears throat> excuse me. I think the issue is that we don't see it happening. We don't see it's PR not, taking not a happening. leadership yeah. role in it's this not. at all. Yeah. And, and I don't – I mean there's probably a lot of reasons for it, but I never see PR leaders really look about – look at the consistency of, of the program over time. I see lots of campaign ideas. And I see lots of, oh, we've got lots of writers. We know how to tell stories, and let's do it over this period of time. I don't see a lot of PR companies consult with some of the companies we're talking to saying, look, this is going to, we're going to create a content brand. We're going to do this over time. These are the marketing objectives behind it, which are very different than PR objectives in most cases. Yeah. I, I just don't see it. I don't know if you see it happening as much. I don't see it happening. And, and I see it exceedingly rarely you know it's it it's it is not something that i see very very often at all and in fact what i hear um you know sort of in the you know what i would call my walk in the dog survey basically you know what i hear in the hallways at conferences and those sorts of things and i ask about it because i i'm a huge fan of pr i've always been a huge fan of pr anybody who's followed my work knows that that, that i'm a huge fan of pr and so i ask about it a lot and what i hear is a lot of lip service you know, so I, and this is the 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 absolute truth that somebody a, a, a VP uh, at a very large PR firm uh, came up to me at a conference and, and I said, "How how's it going with content marketing? How's it going?" And basically, this I've heard this many times, but she sort of encapsulated it very well. She said to me, "She said, you know, here's the deal: we go to this all hands meeting." And the partners will come out and they'll talk about how we're going to evolve into content marketing and, and content is going to be incredibly important. We are now going to be the advisors and strategic advisors for our clients and content marketing and everybody rah, rah, rah. Everybody takes a piece of pizza, takes a bite, goes back to their cube and then starts hitting the phones again trying to get coverage for their you know clients in traditional media. And, and nothing ever comes of it. And that seems to me to be sort of the – there's a lot of talk in the PR circles around – getting content marketing as a strategic practice within the organization and very few and there are exceptions here trust me i i know of them and they're the of the big firms they've all you know some of them have actually units now devoted to the content marketing approach and that sort of thing but to your point many of them are still campaign based many of them are still very branded content sort of focused on you know how do we get this campaign out there and you know or uh, in many cases it's you know the sort of social programs around a, a, a you know a company and sort of classic pr moves with maybe a content you know sort of uh, twist on it they're not sort of what we would think of as a content marketing methodology well i think there's 
I I just talked to somebody, and I'm speaking at and I'm speaking at future comms in in London because um, this is a UK focused piece, by the way. Um, I'm speaking at future comms in London in June, and actually teaching a workshop to PR professionals on the topic of content marketing. And and trust me, the agendas that are going back and forth are, you know, v- very sort of like okay, let's just cover the basics here. Well, I I mean, I had a conversation just the other day in in Singapore with a with somebody who was an executive in PR and I asked how there, it was going and it was almost like defeatist. It was like, we're, we're trying to, you know, it's, it's that culture strategy for breakfast thing. It's like they yeah. go back to, it's very hard to do something different. And the, the, I guess the one thing that I, I didn't get the perspective of this art, there's nothing wrong necessarily with the article, but it seemed like whoever, went, the, the writer of the article wasn't aware that there are a whole group of content agencies out there that have been doing this for decades that probably will lead the way first. And second, probably then traditional publishers and media companies who we we talk about on the show all the time that are really used to setting up their own content brands and now they're doing it for their customers. So then I, you know, then I think you've got advertising agencies and PR agencies and they're all in the mix. I don't think it's going to be a category. I don't think there's going to be a category of leadership. I think you're going to have individual companies that understand what's going on in the marketplace that are easier to cut through the change. Some of the newer ones actually probably have a better opportunity because they don't have that baggage of what they've done in the past. And I think it could be an advertising agency, it could be a PR agency, it could be a content marketing agency, uh, it could be a creative agency. I don't think it has. I don't think it's a. I don't look at it in categories anymore. So. Yep, I think that's. I think that's. I, and those categories, by the way, are blurring. For many many agencies, you know the 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 number of services and what are getting what is getting done is starting to blur as you know the sort of stratification um, you know that has happened literally over the last ten years where you have so many different strata of agencies now from demand generation to PR to email to SEO to uh, you know demand generation to brand to you know all well, these I, all these I, I guess that you know, you know you're absolutely right but I think the issue is is that okay go to go to any agency today they've got a uh, discipline that they cover called content marketing, whatever that means of course. for them, right? What does that? That's right. That's a, and that's my point. That that was that. Yeah. But that, I guess the that point was, is, is that 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 is uh, has a different meaning for every one of these companies. That's and it. in most exactly. cases, it doesn't mean we're going to help you create your own content brand and build your audience. It does not mean that. It means we're well, going to tell exactly stories right. for you to try to help you, and we'll we'll get those stories on social we'll channels and get you right. web traffic well, and likes and engagement. And it doesn't mean anything about we're going to help build your audience. That is the that is the that is the nail on the head, right? That or the head of the nail. It's one of the two. Either it's one. Either or the nail both. of the head Could or the both. head of the nail. It can be both. Actually, <laughs> it's the entirety of the nail. The the, the entirety of the long nail um, is what you just said, which is those individual agencies in those stratifications are defining, self-defining in many cases, what content marketing means for them. Instead of what content marketing means for the the client, and and so if I'm a demand generation agency, basically I'm creating a content marketing program that is there to generate leads and build lead nurturing. And if I'm a brand agency, I'm creating a content marketing program that's built to do branded content and B roll of you know TV ads. And if I'm a PR agency, my content marketing program. So it's basically using content marketing to support the very thin 
sort of strata of the services that I provide. So they're, they're, it's interesting. It's a very inside looking out. Instead of looking at content marketing as a way to build an audience sort of holistically and build that asset and build that sort of strategy around that, they're building it as a way to drive classically formatted services. And that's, that's a th- great that's, point. That yeah, is so yeah. true. Yeah, they're going to fill it into, like with PR specifically, they're going to fit content marketing in their own PR model. Yep. So, yeah. And that's and that's ultimately going to be a failed strategy, I think, because the ones that are not looking at it that way are the new content, like to your point, are the content agencies, the publishing companies. And and by the way, the brands that are sort of starting to bring this in, a la Marriott or Red Bull or anybody who's sort of forming their own content studio, because they're looking at it holistically. And so when I go into an agency, I'm like, the opportunity here is for you to branch out of your you know, sort of myopic view of the world and create this methodology that will help you address P- all the different aspects of the marketing strategy that you're no longer or that you aren't currently addressing. And it's so easy for them to go, yeah, but you know what? We just do demand generation, so we're just going to focus on that little bit. And so anyway – Get off on our get off on a rant here. I didn't even think I was going to be ranting. Yeah, I didn't know we were in the rants part. I guess the whole thing is a rant. So whatever. (laughs) All right, all right. Let's move on to our next story here. Um, The headline of this: uh, Did you ever see Ender's Game? I did. Or or read the book? Yes, that's what I thought of when I saw the article. I know. I saw this thing. So the the headline here is Ender's Analysis, um, the five trends shaping consumer behavior in advertising. Another article out of the UK here. um, And a guy by the name of Douglas McCabe who sort of – pontificated these uh, uh, five trends that are shaping consumer behavior in advertising. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. It uh, comes to us courtesy of themediabriefing.com, an interesting website that, I, that I, I've liked quite a bit in the past. And I, actually, I have to be honest, I had to go look up who Ender was here because I immediately thought of Ender's Game. But I guess they're a pretty well-known and well-respected research analyst firm uh, in the UK, and Douglas McCabe is their CEO. Kind of like a Forrester or Gartner, is that yeah, what Yeah, I thinking? guess so. Yeah. That's, that's the – or like an IDC kind oh, of thing. Okay. Um, you know, and so um, this guy, uh, Douglas McCabe, their CEO, came out with these sort of five trends, um, and they were interesting. I thought I, I thought they were actually pretty good. I mean, some of them were like, okay, yeah, welcome to the internet, right? Steve Case and this guy, right? But um, some of them were actually pretty interesting. And of course, you know, our favorite is is that he, as one of them he mentions is as he says, to fight non-human traffic, bet on content marketing. And he says, the harsh truth is that more than half of internet ads are never seen, leading to an estimated $9.5 billion of U.S. uh, dollars uh, wasted on non-human traffic, um, which is sort of the ad fraud thing that's going on right now. And then he says, only 38.5% of web traffic is composed of humans. The rest is divided between robots, hacking tools, spammers, and other impersonators. And he said the evidence, uh, this is, is overwhelming, uh, but that content marketing is where the growth is in the future. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at content as sort of as a way to fight off sort of fake traffic versus, you know, and, and, and sort of humanize the traffic that you're getting. Um, what do you think of the article and some of the things that he was talking about? I think like you, it's like some of these seem very, uh, well, of course, like yeah. the whole idea. So right. the first one is to go through a couple. Mobile's going to be big, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the first yeah. part is, you know, he says young consumers are moving away from TV, not from video. This is a, like a, of course, right. absolutely. I mean, anybody that know has any, like, you know, my, my two kids are 11 and 13. You talk to anybody, they're watching lots of YouTube, lots of video. And not necessarily watching as much on a television. 
So that that right. makes perfect sense. I don't have an issue with that. The one thing about mobile is king, and it will only re- increase in relevance. What's interesting is, and we talked about this in Sydney and Singapore a bit, that Google just came out with their new algorithm update that hasn't yet happened, which is they never do this. They, they always just usually just say, hey, um, you know, here's the update, or it just happens and people notice traffic changes. But Google said, and I don't know what the date is, it's something like April 20 or 21st or something, that they're saying if your site is not mobily optimized, it will hurt your rankings. That's right. They're giving us a heads up. That's a big deal. We're all over it. So just so anybody who doesn't know that, this is a big deal. Like you got to check your site. Make sure that it's mobile ready. Because if you not, it's going to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You're going to wreck yourself. what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and the last part on betting on content marketing. And I just, I was amazed. And I don't know if you saw this part of Andrew Davis's presentation. You might have been presenting in another room. I saw, did, no, well, I saw the, the, all parts well, when of he was. Did you see the part that he was talking about Red Bull's revenues in 2016? Uh, I actually didn't. Okay, see, that, see, no. that's, see I, I didn't think it. You were because you were in another room doing something, right? Because it was yeah. the breakout session. He said he had a conversation with a Red Bull, a marketer, <clears throat> uh, executive marketer at Red Bull that said, by the end of 2016, Red Bull will have more revenues coming from associated with Red Bull Media House than selling beverages, and that blew me away. Like I've got to do more research. I don't know on if that's this. true. I don't know if that's true, but I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I'll buy it. Well, I think it's the way the that they chunk their the, because all their Formula One stuff and all their big events all goes under Red Bull Media House. So okay. and they've got multiple media properties sure, right now in under that. And and I don't know either. I mean, I think I got to find out. But I mean, that's this is the beginning of what we're going to be starting to see. I think with a number of like I oh yeah like so let's just look at you know Marriott's launching this thing. Uh, where yeah. they want to be the you know the leader in travel uh, media and information. Do you think that in five years that Marriott could get could have more revenues from non hotel revenues than in, fi- in five years? Yes. Not a chance. You don't think so? Not in, not a chance. Not in five years. I mean, they're huge. You know, the Marriott group of hotels is 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 enormous. I I. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So you're so sure about it. I'm not so sure because yeah. Uh, now we have yeah, there's a big ten years from now, maybe ten years from not five years, maybe not maybe. I don't know. I, I'm, I guess yeah. the point is is that what's happening in every industry the, is our the business point models is still are valid. Changing. Our the, business your, models your point, are changing because of the content yes. we create. Absolutely yes. No, I, I have no doubt about that. I, I, you have my firm agreement on that, and. I really want to know Red Bull. I totally buy in maybe in five years well, or maybe now. You want to hear if, my prediction on that? The, sure. Yeah. This is probably an idiotic prediction, but I'm really good at idiotic predictions, so I'm going to give. One. <laughs> we both are. Oh man, I love. They're my favorite types of predictions. I predict that Red Bull, let's say in the next five years, they will sell off their beverages division to like a Coca-Cola or something like that, and they won't be selling any more beverages. They'll be going into other businesses. I think that's probably accurate. Um, I, I, think that's, I think that's probably accurate. The only, here's, here's the only caveat I would put onto that, which is if they, if they, lose, if they continue to lose share of the, the, that sports drink uh, market, I could see them doing that. I could also, by the way, see them launching a new product before they actually abandon their old one. Oh, I think they already have. 
I mean, they launch. Well, no, I mean, no, no, I mean, like a launch a pro, like a you know, a a a fashion line or uh, skateboards. Oh or, yeah, I, know, think that, yeah, I think I you think know you're I mean? gonna see. Um, I think what you see, especially with, and then because the same thing as you, you now you've been doing all this research, and I have as well on all these content brands, and the one thing that's uh, prevalent is the diversification of revenue, not the not yep. a sole focus on one or two revenue lines, but multiple revenue lines. That's so I right. think that as a, and so they might just keep the beverage line, but what you're going to see is yeah, they're going to be in fashion, they're going to be selling skateboards, they're going to be selling outdoor equipment, they're going to be doing all this other stuff. So they might have fifty to sixty different revenue lines coming into the organization because they've been able to do that because they've been building an audience. Around That's those right. areas, so I don't know. It's just I'm totally got off the article's point here, but I just thought that <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that that was that was interesting. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our last story here, um, and we can cover this quickly here because we've talked about it at some length before. But it's an interesting sort of, uh, I guess, add on to something we've talked about uh, a few times before: the economics of the podcast boom. This comes from CJR.org. Um, and it's uh, written into first person by someone who started their own show, um, their own podcast. And it really just goes through all the different sort of adventures that this person has had in launching a new podcast and sort of the economic model and the ads and how podcasting is now becoming a network. And, um, I, you know, I had a small take on this, which was, you know, her story seemed to be our story a little bit um, in, in many ways and some of the things that she experienced. And um, But what did you think about this? Because you've, you've certainly been around this longer than even I have. So so what, what did you think about this? Well, I think, well we are seeing um, – I've never seen so many – I mean, we're, how many podcasts do we see launching every day? It's crazy. Right. I mean, our our good friend Brian Clark at, uh, at Copy Blogger, he launched like 10 or 12 different podcasts all in one day. Because I went to the top list, and it's like every podcast in the top ten was a uh, was a copy blogger podcast. I'm like, whoa! I mean, I think this is and and uh, what's interesting is I, I sat in on Timbo Reed's presentation at Content Marketing Sydney. So for those yeah. of you that don't know, Timbo is an excellent podcaster. He's got the number one sales and marketing podcast in Australia. And the first thing he said was, the barriers to enter this game are incredibly low, so incredibly low that anybody with about 300 bucks can do it. Yep. And he talks about the fact that you don't just want to launch a show. You want to know your, who your audience is and what your content niche is and all that stuff. So very important. But because these barriers are so low, we're we're just – I can't imagine what it's going to be like in six months, how many podcasts are going to be out there. So that's the first thing well, that I, hit me there. I think we're going to see a, a big – burst of that as well you know what i mean i think you're gonna see it's kind of like you know how gym memberships in january are like you know you go to the gym and it's like completely packed and then by the time you get to may or june it's like back to normal again because those people who sort of made the new year's yeah. resolution sort of give up i think you're gonna see a lot of that as well, well i think but if you look at so it goes the article goes through the different uh models for uh, you know, most of them are on advertising. So most of them are still advertising and then talks about like, uh, you know, WTF from uh, Mark Marone. Yeah. Uh, right. or Mark Marin, I'm sorry. And he, so he's he monetizes his through a lot of different ways. That diversification comes back again. But uh, but one of us is premium content. It's like, hey, subscribe to my podcast, get this premium content. I think what's happening for brands that get into podcasting, I think you're going to see that, you know how like when blogs came around, all these brands went to, oh, okay, you're going to sign up for my blog, get the get the e-newsletter where you can get even better information and we're going to package right. our blogs. I think you're going to see the same thing. I think that's a natural way 
to build subscribers on a podcast where there's some kind of a additional content offer. Like we don't necessarily do that with ours, but we have a lot of other things that we're pushing to, like our e-newsletter and other things that we offer. Right. But I think that's a that's a go-to strategy for brands. Like get this, you know, amazingly special content, relevant content in this package. You can go here and download that. And I think it's almost a companion to the podcast. And I think that'll be sort of a natural fit in the next year or two for for brand branded podcasts. So, I think that's exactly right. Well, speaking of just amazing specially packaged, wonderful, wonderful content. I mean, just speaking of that. What a segue into our wonderful, wonderful sponsor for this week's show. Q sponsor music now. Thank you. This old marketing is sponsored by Digital Relevance, which increases search visibility, web traffic, and conversions by executing research-driven content marketing, digital PR, and SEO strategies. Uh, and we need another acronym in there somewhere. <laughs> we love our, our friends at Digital Relevance uh, because when they partner on this show, they, they give us really good content to promote, and that's what we love to do. <clears throat> so they, Digital Relevance is offering the Media Buyer's Guide to Sponsored Editorial Content. We, you know what? We have nobody's. We haven't said native advertising once. I had to we say didn't. it because There's, it's I mean, never happened this late in the show. I think. Drink, drink. I know. Drink, Some people drink. are awful. It's like, please say it. I would really like yeah. a drink. Uh, it includes everything you need to know about sponsored content, from the evolution, the controversy, and the regulation of uh, oh, and, and regulation, and then all these execution tools. And what's really good about it is they help you put together a buying strategy around sponsored content. So really, really helpful. Uh, Just an awesome piece. As Jay Bear would say, it's a utility. It will help you. You can learn more at bitly.com slash media-buyers-guide or just go to the podcast section of the Content Marketing Institute site or thisoldmarketing.com and you can click on it directly and download it. And please support our sponsors. And uh, we wouldn't send you to a piece of content that we didn't like. This is a good piece of content. Check it out. Yeah, it is really, really good. All right, folks, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It's our rant and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is making us feel like March Madness (laughs) or something that's giving us a little bit of anger. Um, and let's see. I guess I go first. Uh, but no, you go, I go first. first. Well, yes. I don't know. You go first, right? Because you have the lovely this old marketing this week. And, and mine is really, really quick because I've been r- you know ranting throughout the show. This is I don't know if this is a rant <laughs> or rave. I just think it's interesting for those of you that know me. I'm I'm infatuated with it's a Reich. <laughs> it's a it's a Reich or a, or a, I don't know maybe. <laughs> I am infatuated with business media models, like any type of a, of different publishing model. I'm interested in. So I saw this article from Digiday, uh, which, which basically ta- it's called How Publishers Pull Off E-Commerce Revenue Without Eroding Trust. And this is just a very interesting strategy that IDG is doing. So this whole idea – and I didn't realize this. So IDG um, – which has all kinds of technology publications like Macworld and TechHive, a bunch of other ones. They now, 6% of their total revenue comes in through affiliate marketing, which you may wow. think is small, but it's not. And it's increased, they said it's increased by 400% uh, since 2009, since they started to do that. So I'm sure up from a very small number. But 6% of total revenue, that's nothing to sneeze at. And affiliate revenue, by the way, is probably it's probably all profit for the most part. Oh sure. So the the what's interesting about this model is if you started to build affiliate links in your content, p- 
people sort of smell like something's foul is going on with your editorial that's supposed to be unbiased. So what they right. did was they they basically the affiliate the marketing team leaves the editors at IDG alone and they don't touch the editorial. But once the editorial comes out, marketing then looks at that and tries to add affiliate links where necessary. Wherever they are, already, you know, the editorial's already been approved, and then they come back after the fact. I just thought that was a super interesting model. So they really do have this line between church and state, but then they say, oh, okay, well, here's affiliate, and they, they've got an interesting way to do it where you can see that they're affiliate links and whatnot. I just thought that that was super interesting. Super interesting. And this is the one thing that I'm thinking about, and I know most most of the time we don't have publishers that are listening to this or media people, but I, I, I'm totally in, in interested in how these uh, media brands are trying to evolve to get away from advertising as much as possible. So here's a company that now has 6%, maybe next year it'd be 10%, and a growing part where they're starting to not be as focused on the advertising that may be going away. And they're looking to diversify their revenues in different ways. And I think that affiliate links and affiliate marketing is going to be a big one here in the next few years. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's that's. You know, it's like you said. It sounds like a small number, but when you consider that many, many of the retailers that are out there, uh, and I mean the biggest retailers that you would know of, when you look at their e-commerce channel, it's usually around that number. It's usually around between five and seven percent of their total. Oh, that's revenue. interesting. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's a it's 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 right up there, right? And this, you know, these are people who care deeply about their e-commerce catalog and how their e-commerce is doing and trying to figure out ways to optimize it and all that kind of stuff. And it's usually right in that, you know, less than 10% for sure for most for most big retailers. All right, what you got? All right, well, I got this uh, rant here. Um, I guess it's a rant, uh, you know, much like you. I'm not sure if it's really a rant or not. This uh, So Starbucks um, this week um, sort of had a campaign blow up in their face. Um, they had this... Uh, campaign called race together hashtag race together and the idea was i guess that they would start this campaign and the baristas at starbucks would write hashtag race together um and i don't mean race like you know you're in a foot race i mean race like you're the the race different races um and would be raced together and, and it would basically spur a conversation um between people in starbucks about how race relations are happening and this came out, and they had a couple of other social things going on as well and, and to sort of instigate this, and, and it blew up in their face. And there was all kinds of social backlash from it, basically people and, – and, and what I thought was kind of an attack. It wasn't – you know, so the article that we'll link to in the show notes, and this is, a, I guess, where, if any, there is a little bit of a rant, speak to it. This, uh, the link that we'll, we'll link to is from Mediaite.com. Uh, which talks about how the Starbucks VP of communications actually deleted his Twitter account after people started challenging him. And and the tone of the article is as if these people wanted to have a conversation with him about race. And, and, and quite frankly, looking at the tweets, it was quite the opposite. It was basically, how dare you, you know, the faux outrage about, you know, I don't go to Starbucks to have my barista talk to me about race, you know, and I don't, you know, how dare you have, assume that anybody in your Starbucks would have the intelligence or the patience to speak about race. And, and then he did something stupid, I thought. He, he actually started deleting and blocking oh, uh, the boy. people that were having that. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's, it's like, 
And this is, I get where I guess to my point, because they've actually, I guess, suspended the campaign altogether, which came out over the weekend that they've actually ended the the, the campaign and, and it is now making mainstream media and that sort of thing. And I, I felt bad for the guy, the communications guy who actually did this. Um, but and, and I and I do believe that they were more of an attack than a discussion. But he was dumb. It was a dumb move to actually block them because, of course, that just fostered more of the you know sort of discussion to happen. And I guess what I get to is sort of this classic case. I've I've, I've told I tell this story in workshops of, of never don't let the story write you. And this is a classic case of Starbucks letting the story write them. And what I mean by that is is that. They jumped right into – when you think of a, a, the, the natural arc of a story, um, you don't jump into the middle of the movie unless you want to make people mad. And the metaphor I often use is like you go to Star Wars and the very first scene is Luke destroying the Death Star. And then basically – then the next scene is him as a young kid. And you're like, wait a minute. This guy's a terrorist who just laid waste to millions of people and you want me to be like, like him? I want to like him now? And now you're just mad at the director. You know, you've, you've all seen this movie, right, where you're so mad at the movie for putting you in this situation that you're just angry. You're angry with – and this is exactly what they've – this is letting the story write you, where when you start at that point, and, and instead of doing the actual work to figure out and going and, quite frankly, getting permission from the audience to tell the story, that way – when you actually get to the point where they're writing race together on the cups or they're actually doing it through social media, you've built in the permission and the buy-in, the suspension of disbelief for the, those in the storytelling world, where you've actually got the story that you can tell now. And it's just thinking it through instead of trying to go, this is a great idea, let's jump into it, and let's just jump right to the middle because we don't have time, nor do we have the patience to actually build it in. And that's the real lesson here, for I think, for marketers is, yeah, you can do stuff like this. You can actually do stuff that's really out there and has that distinct point of view like we talked about at the beginning of the show, but you've got to tell the whole story. You've got to actually go and get the permission from your audience to actually tell that story so that your audience is there to defend you when those haters come up. And that's my rant. That's a good rant. Thanks. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's finish this off strong. Yeah, absolutely. You got a little this yeah, you know what? And, and, for us, a little this all I like this example, and uh, our marketing director, Kathy McPhillips, sent this over to us. It's super interesting. Now, this comes from uh, Backcountry, and you know, you've used Backcountry before, correct? I have. Okay. Yes. So I haven't recently. I don't uh, because my wife does not like to camp. <laughs> so let's just be so clear. basically, Backcountry back is a retail site where you can buy all kinds of outdoorsy equipment. What's really interesting is they created, um, they, they've been starting to do backstories of some of the products that they uh, cover. So the one that, and you said, and I didn't know the pronunciation, but you said it's it's Tencel. Uh, tents, correct? Tensile tents. tents. Yep, that's it. Yep. So, the, and the, that's the one we'll show on the site as well. So, Tensile Tents, they went to Tensile Tents, and this is high quality, really good interview. It's a two minute video about the backstory of how Tensile Tents got started. So, it's the co founder and the CEO there sitting there saying, I was so frustrated. And the whole idea, but if you have never seen a Tensile Tent, it's where you can have a tent that's suspended in the air and you tie it to trees and it doesn't hurt any, you know, you, you're not not on the ground at all you don't hurt any environment you just take three trees and you you tie it so that you're up above the ground it's really cool by the way 
that the way that they do that. And he says, I didn't like the, any of the other tents. I didn't on the ground. I wanted sometimes there's no, you know, there, there's brush underneath and we, I, I can't set up a tent. And it just seemed like there needed to be a better way. Really, really persuasive piece of content that, that backcountry is doing on behalf of Tensile Tents so that, of course, backcountry can sell more of them as their retail outlet to do that. And I, it's, it looks like backcountry is going to do more of this. Now, not necessarily content marketing, but more on the idea of, you know, storytelling program with partners. I just love this idea. If you're looking at, look, how do we help some of these partners out? And especially as I'm assuming Tensile Tents has lots of places they could sell. If you're bringing that added value to the table, say, you know, we're going to really talk about you. And here's how we're going to do it in a very unique way. Uh, and it's beautiful, by the way, this way, the backcountry site is beautiful. One of the nicest oh, retail yeah. sites you'll ever see. Yep. And everything they yep. do is just first rate. I just thought that was an interesting idea. So it almost goes back to, I talked to Andrew about Andrew Davis a couple times in this episode, but if you look at his book, Brandscaping, that's what it's all about. It's almost like, hey, how do we partner with people that may have an audience that we don't have or may have content that we don't have that we can help? Uh, and, 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 you know, by together, growing together, you know, we help each other. Um, I just think it's an interesting take. So hats off to them. And, you know, we'll put this Absolutely. in the show notes. And uh, it's super interesting. And the video is worth, worth watching. And I think not only your own About Us page, you know, people have requested from CMI our backstory, which we feel like, oh, we don't want to talk about ourselves. But you're stuck getting so many requests. You need to do some of that stuff. But how about doing it on behalf of your partners? That that's pretty fantastic stuff. So it's a great it's a great example. I mean, and, and what I love about this is that when I'm out there talking with retailers, many times, you know, because right now this is a big this is big conversation that's going on with retailers right now, which is how do we make our e-commerce catalogs something that people want to come back to, and that you know that because quite frankly, for many of them that have products that are going, you know, that there's a well known Amazon effect that's going on right now, as well as sort of the physical stores as well where. I can just go get this product at XYZ shop, including Amazon. So why are my customers coming to my e-commerce catalog? And this is a great, you know, this is a great example of that is that I can actually understand and have a reason to go and read great editorial and understand the backstory of this particular partner of mine in this case and and have a reason for people to come to my shop so that I'll actually sell it. It's, it's, it's just a great example of somebody who's, Taking, we talked about this. I don't know, four or five shows ago. This idea of nostalgia and authenticity and that sort of thing, and and storytelling, and and how that's a piece of you know sort of a more forward leaning um, uh, strategy. And this is a great example of that. Well, I am uh, I'm ready to go head down and kick off Intelligent Content yeah. Conference, and I will see you tomorrow it. morning. Correct? You are absolutely. You will. I am taking the very first flight up, so I will be there just as the keynote gets underway, and I can't wait to be there and see everybody. It's going to be an awesome. Week oh, I'm, I'm at, ready to uh, see some some purple uh, experiences copies there what? as well. I know. What? what? That's just cray cray. I'll tell what? you, <laughs> you're beautiful. <laughs> Let's All right, folks, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, thank you so much for tweeting us up at hashtag this old marketing uh, and giving us these great story ideas. Keep them coming, folks. Um, or send us an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. Um, and if you like this episode number 71, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links to all the goodness that we talked about in today will be in the show notes, available at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, well, 
My time of not taking you seriously is coming to a middle. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.